Welcome to the Red Tree Pod, a project aimed at seeing how grace clarifies our otherwise confusing lives and attempts at reading the scriptures. I'm your host, Davis Johnson, and in just a few seconds, I'll be joined by my co-host, Chris Wachter, as every other week, we come to you to break down an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a portion of a New Testament letter, and my favorite part, the but what about section, where we look at a trickier part of scripture that seems to go against everything we talk about here on this podcast, but actually doesn't. We are glad to have you with us. Welcome to another episode of the Red Tree Pod. I'm Davis Johnson, joined here today by Chris Wachter again. Davis, good to see you. Good to see you as well. What is going on in the land of Chris Wachter? Oh, to, uh, not much, actually. Today, This week is very normal, which I appreciate. So uh, that's that's really good. But um, yeah, we are... Um, we're doing fine uh, in the Walker home. I'm getting ready to go to Orlando next week for a church planner assessment. Uh, assuming Orlando's not underwater, I guess anymore. Uh, yes. which I don't think they are, but they were for a while. I heard so, but I'm sure they're fine now, uh, hopefully. But um, yeah, going to go down and assess some church planners uh, yeah. for a few days. Uh, looking forward to that. So yeah, you're you're pretty good at that. That's how you and I really became friends was during some church planning assessment stuff. Right. Uh, what are you looking forward to this round? This is probably like your 11th time doing it, eh? Maybe 11th-ish. It's a very yeah. specific number. Were you <laughs> not, counting? Not 10, yeah. just 11. 11, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm assessing with some people I have before. It's always fun to see them, but I think it's, I don't know, at this point in my life, having planted myself, it's just a nice way to give back a little bit, you know, and uh, I do feel like I love church planners when I'm there with them and get to know them, hear a bit of their story. I think partly because I know how hard it is, yeah. you know, and I can see a little bit of fear in their eyes, a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of whatever, you know, different types of things like that. But, um, and so you like to so, turn that volume up a little bit, bring the terror, bring the terror. Your, yeah. You yeah. know me so well. You're yeah. such a Sinai yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Big <Sinai> right. Guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, no, looking forward to that, but how about you? Yeah, that, that's exciting, man. Uh, we're doing well. Things are good in the Johnson house. Um, we Here at Hope, we just started a, a new sermon series on prayers. That is the title of it. So we, we usually like to spend time in a book of the Bible, but sometimes we do these topical series. And uh, this one was Paul Stiver's recommendation, Red Tree Writer, Paul Stiver. Shout out to yeah, Beast Dives. Right. Uh, he came up with this sermon series. It's, it's, it's really cool. He's, he just took a, a survey of various prayers uh, both prayers and prayers, those prayers. who are saying those prayers right. uh, throughout Old and New Testament. And, and it's just kind of a look at them of, hey, what, what's happening here? Because it's a subject that I think for Christians in general, it's just like, I I don't feel like I pray enough or I don't know how to pray. Yeah. And so just turn to the word of, of what can we learn? And especially in light of the gospel, prayer becomes more of a door or an invitation than it's it. like a do this and live type thing. So right. I've already been pretty encouraged by it and uh, ha- have acknowledged uh, in that process my own prayerlessness, which stems from unbelief. Mm. And speaking of unbelief, yes, today we are looking at Ooh, Genesis 3. So, oh, it's good. Yeah. Uh, yes. The uh, first form of faith here in Genesis 3 found in the Bible is a form of unbelief. So faith, not in God, but in the enemy of God, the serpent, who's hanging out by a tree. Um, and, and two trees kind of come to the forefront there in Genesis two and three, the tree of knowledge of good and evil 
and the tree of life. And interestingly here, Genesis 3, the beginning of all the suck of the world, uh, <laughs> traces back to Genesis 3, what, what many theologians have called the fall. That's what my subtitle says in my Bible. That's, what version the, do you the have? The beginning of the suck. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there it is. <laughs> the, uh, the tree of life, the, what we even based red tree off of, this tree of life that's here in the opening pages of Scripture, uh, kind of moves uh, eg- more of an exit of stage left here in Genesis 3. And what really comes to the forefront is this tree of knowledge of good and evil that God has commanded Adam and Eve not to eat from. And the command itself uh, is very quick to breed a form of disobedience that leads to them actually doing exactly what the command was not to do. Mm. And uh, everything that happens from there is is downhill in the worst way. Um, mm. All of all forms of shame, sadness, division and relationships, uh, separation from God, not wanting to be around God, hiding from him. Uh, all of these things kind of come right to your face here in Genesis 3. And again, the tree of life is just glaringly absent. It's mm. something that from this page on is actually even going to be protected by a flaming sword, that human beings don't have access to this tree of eternal life uh, for, for a long time. In fact, until Jesus comes and, and eventually dies on a tree that right. we would say is actually the red tree, the tree of life. It, right. it really comes back to the next time it makes center stage is when Jesus himself is crucified on a mm. tree. And now life under that looks very, very different than this tree of knowledge of good and evil. So much we could say here uh, in addition to this on Genesis 3, but what are some yeah. of the high watermarks where, where you'd take us there, Chris? You know, I'd agree, Davis, just in terms of how um, how much of like a hallmark passage this is just mm-hmm. for biblical theology and just our understanding of what Christianity is. You know, it's and it's a dark passage, but a lot of times that's, that's the spot you see God the most is in the darkness. And that's a big part of our... Uh, of course, beliefs as Christians as a God who came into the darkness and was willing to wear it for us and enter into all of that. And you see it right away when God finds people who are hiding from him. Adam and Eve are full of shame. They run away and they hide, like you were saying, And but how God is a chaser. He pursues. Um, and I think just to kind of underline that whole thing again, uh, you were kind of saying it, Davis, but just a lot of times what's not in a passage is just as important as what is. So like what's in the white space and we don't see that, that uh, red tree. We don't see that tree of life, you know, but we do see a tree of the law. We see a tree of, um, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of do this or don't do this and the tree of rules basically, Mm -hmm. and how that leads to um, all kinds of darkness and disobedience. So um, one thing I do think it's interesting is uh, that I like to point out in Genesis three is this stark contrast between after sin came into the world between Adam and Eve making their own clothing uh, because they're naked and they realize that and they want to cover up. And so it says in verse seven, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes or loincloths. And then later how God seems to uh, dismiss it and doesn't really acknowledge them as those types of clothing is sufficient. Mm -hmm. And so it says in verse 20, he made God made for Adam and, and his wife Eve garments of skins and clothed them. And so um, so just a contrast there between the first attempt to make something for ourselves and cover our shame, which is followed up by God doing something himself with his own hands. Uh, that actually cost a life, uh, if you think about it, uh, for skins, to, animal skins to be made into clothing, it costs the life of an animal. And so uh, how that typifies Christ as well. It's just a subtle hint that another clothing making is coming in the future when uh, the Lamb of God will die and create, with his death, create covering, create protection from the elements of uh, shame and uh, hell and attack and um, distance from God and all these types of enemies that we can um, 
put in different words, right? But those are all like orbiting around the same idea of the problem of scripture that, that Christ solves for us. So that's really good. And I think of the, 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 the coverings themselves is it's, there's so much in that description there, this imagery that's given, right? Yeah. Of the first instinct that these two have in the midst of sin entering their world is I'm not okay and I need to cover myself. Right. And, it, you know, you turn the page back to Genesis 2 and the the first description of Adam and Eve together is a, a form of nakedness with no shame. And that is a physical nakedness, but it's also a picture of so much more. It's a, an emotional, spiritual mental naked, like I am, you see all of me. And whenever I do this with, with premarital, uh, couples, when, you know, we're preparing for the marriage process, I have them look at that passage and, and I ask them, why do you think that's the description? You know, not, why not? They were both naked and they were super jazzed about it, mm -hmm. right? It's they're naked and they have no shame. And usually it, uh, it doesn't take one of them very long to, to flip the page to Genesis three here and see, what shame looks like. Namely, it is a clothing of a, a hiding, a, I'm not okay as I am and I need to cover myself up. And it's, right. it's pretty remarkable that we haven't known that as people who are on the other side of Genesis three, there's not a single relationship that hasn't known a sense of covering of, I cannot be seen as I am yes, or I'll die. Right. That's, right. that's driving right. every time that I feel right. that I do something good. I need to let somebody know it's actually, that's, that's, that's shame driving this. It's a form of covering when I, when I want to hide behind an achievement or right. fill in the blank. Right. 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 It is uh, Genesis three has a, has a lot to say about our real state as humans and how that's so great. Yeah. It, it fits really well too with how the law exposes, hmm. but Christ brings a covering. Right. And I think of like later in Genesis eight or nine, is it where Noah is drunk after the flood and his sons treat his, his nakedness differently and his drunkenness differently. Like one exposes and kind of laughs at his dad for being naked and drunk and points and posts on social media and stuff like that. Uh, if that were around, uh, it would basically be happening. But, and then the other two sons, uh, uh, Shem and, and Japheth cover him. Mm. And, and it's no surprise that Jesus comes from the line of Shem, right? He comes from the line of covering and not from exposure because the law does expose it. You know, it reminds us of sin. Hebrew says daily it, because it can't be kept by us. And so we need a secondary clothing, a secondary covering, a secondary sun uh, after the flood, a secondary testament, ultimate secondary tree. All, the, all these things uh, come later after the first man-made attempt, right? Uh, that, that didn't work and by God's design uh, to come and, and be the better thing. That's really, really good. And, and, and here in these opening pages of scripture, we have so much of that um, unveiling of what the story is going to be about, where one thing comes to be replaced by something better. So right. in this instance, it is the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is going to be replaced by a bigger, better tree where life is going to look very different underneath it or law giving way to gospel, like, yeah. we, like we've been saying. Good. And what we look at a lot in Red Tree, and, and speaking of law, let's turn the page over to Psalm 19, which has a lot to say about the law. In, in a positive light. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk to me about right. that, Chris, because I hear whenever we talk about grace, we hate the law. Everyone always tells me that. Why do you hate the law? Right. I don't hate the law. The law's great. The law's right. perfect. Right, right. Yeah. Paul says as much, right? Yeah. Romans, like the law is good and, and perfect and all these things. So yeah, Psalm 19 is a great Psalm. Psalm of David quoted in the New Testament a couple of times, I believe at least once in Romans 10, maybe elsewhere too. But um, it it's, has one of these kind of uh, 
maybe famous if you've read these things before uh, for you, but I think kind of famous uh, descriptions of the law in the Psalms as being like perfect in verse seven, verse eight, uh, right. And they lead to rejoicing of the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. All these like adjectives that come down. And so I, I think that um, a couple ways to handle that. I think on one level, if you look at Psalm 19, there's, there is this movement from good to great. And so in the Psalm, creation comes first with the heavens declare the glory of God, this first kind of revelation. Then the law comes as this kind of more precise thing. At the end though, David as a psalmist says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Uh, Let them have not dominion over me. Uh, then I shall be blameless and made innocent of great transgression. Uh, and then it ends beautifully by, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so um, Psalm 19 can really be outlined in those three ways, kind of creation, law, redemption, creation, law, Jesus, I would say. And so the law, though good, it doesn't it doesn't work. Otherwise, why would the psalmist have to talk to God directly to be declared uh, innocent? Mm. So I think that's kind of the one, one way to look at it. The other way would be to, to look at the law as a type of Christ. And Paul does both in Romans 10, actually. Uh, I think you see this kind of comparison and contrasting happen there, which maybe for, for time's sake, I won't go into that, but there, there is a sense to which the apostles do this too. But the, the, um, the, um, other way to look at it would be to kind of transpose the word of Christ over the law and just see how he is like uh, compared, you know? So the first way was contrast. We talked about it wasn't working, right? Mm-hmm. The second way is like to say, well, Jesus is all these adjectives. Like Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sure. He's right, pure, clean, true. The essence of truth, we know that. Uh more to be desired than gold, right? All these things uh, we could say. So I think historically you've seen you've seen the church do that in many and very in different ways. Of course, people might emphasize it differently, but um, I think that that's a really helpful kind of like reading the Psalms in a New Testament kind of way approach to see the law as a type then of Christ, and then Christ is the better version of of what the law kind of did as a mediator. Yeah. If that makes sense. So. Yeah, and and I know just in various conversations, been looking at this with different people at times, there is pushback on that, uh, saying we're, we're not allowed to do that. Uh, or just because the apostles interpreted scripture that way doesn't mean you can interpret scripture that way. Uh, to which whenever we hear that, right. I, I'd say, oh, I think that's, if the apostles are doing it, I think it's cool. I think that's, they're doing it as instructors to us. Definitely. And one of those places that the apostle Paul does exactly what you're describing, namely looking back on something and, and reinterpreting it in light of what's made, been made clear in Jesus is in the book of Romans when he's really bringing law and gospel to bear and go, hey, which one actually works? Which one actually brought about salvation or perfection of the soul, even as Psalm 19 talks about? And, and in Romans 3, he's he's unequivocal in saying, it's it's grace alone. You've been saved by work that's been done outside of you, not by work that's been done by your own hands. Yes. And then he he asks the question, so so what do we say then? Are we, are we just throwing out the law? And I think it's something like Romans, the end of Romans 3, maybe 3.31. He says, no, on the contrary, we actually establish the law. And it's really interesting uh, because from there in the rest of Romans, he's going to go back into the story or the law, the Torah, which is what Psalm 19 is writing about. The first, uh, I think Psalm 19, seven is the law of the Lord. The Torah of the Lord is perfect. And these are the writings of Moses. And Paul is saying, we're going to establish what the story has always been about, namely the rectifying, the justifying work of God. 
that was given to people who did not deserve it, but it was given and received in faith uh, through the grace of God alone. And so, yes, the, the Torah of the Lord is perfect and it refreshes the soul when it's told well. Right. And how do you tell it well? Well, it looks like it was going one way and and that actually failed. The, the wheels fell off the wagon when we were under the law and they needed to replace by something far better, namely Christ alone and the grace that he gives. And it's so, really good. Yeah, I, I mean, Paul says uh, uh, something like the law is good when we use it lawfully, mm-hmm. as right uh, to, Tim- to Timothy as well too. So that same idea, it's good when it's used the right way and in, in a lawful kind of right. You know, this is the part of the story it is in, and, and the purpose it serves, kind of way. And the purpose it serves is Rocky Four, the uh, the villain in that. Ivan, Ivan, Drago, Drago, yeah. yeah. I must break you, right? Yeah. That's the purpose of the law. It's supposed to it's supposed to break us so that we look for this better thing, right? Uh, namely, something that's been done to us for us, not something that we do. Well, let's turn the the page now to back into the New Testament. Uh, this season of the Red Tree Pod, we're going to be going through First Thessalonians, and today we are in chapter two, verses one through twelve. Where would you take us in verses one through twelve, Chris? Um. Well, let's, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot here, obviously. And so um, I think uh, looking at it from kind of the bird's eye view is maybe one approach that would be helpful. For me, I think this passage, which Paul talks a lot to the church about his love for them as a pastor and how kind of looking back, it kind of sounds like he's bragging at first. He's not because God gets all the credit, you know, and he's a man who lives by grace and believes all is given, nothing's earned. And so he's not bragging, but he is talking about the good that came from him. And I think like in my earlier years as a Christian, um, and I don't think this was necessarily taught to me, but I do think it's a way of reading scripture that is is out there that I was probably reading or kind of espousing myself. But I think just this, this idea that when Paul writes this way, that he's primarily uh, teaching us how to pastor people or how to be a parachurch leader or how to be a, just a Christian as we love other Christians. And I... I don't think that's like completely wrong necessarily. I think there's on a human level, there, there are things we can certainly glean here about sharing our lives with other Christians, our very selves, uh, how not to be a burden to them and things like that. Gentleness, actually gentleness is, is an attribute of overseers and shepherds in first Timothy three. So there's definitely something to that, but I think like what, what gets missed often is that Paul here is a picture of Christ, Mm. that he's a type of Jesus. And so, um, when you read his letters, then we kind of fall back to the place of the church. We are the Thessalonians and Paul is Jesus. And when you read it that way, then you see Paul's affection become a glimpse of Jesus's for us. And so when I read this letter, I think, I think that, that in a sense, it's Jesus's letter to me where he's writing to me saying, I love you, Chris. Like I I've been gentle with you. I am affectionately desirous of you. I gave my own body for you. I, when I came to you, I did not want to be a burden to you. So I worked 100% and I required 0% of you. Uh, I was like a father to you. You know, the, all those things that Paul is saying are basically Jesus's words to us. And I think that um, then it becomes good news and not just this kind of manual, you know, which Paul's not saying it's a manual too. So when right. people that kind of approach it that way, they're coming at it with their own perspectives and grids, right? So I think that, when the we kind of back up and see how is the Bible reading itself elsewhere and how to, you know, and, and Paul elsewhere is called the, the apostle of Christ. Uh, I think his life becomes, you know, an image of Jesus, the whole life of Paul becomes like this. I'm suffering for my people, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And so, um, 
in a that's more macro in this micro sense than I think these specific words become Jesus's love letter to us that we can just bask in mm-hmm. rather than like just obsess over and worry about am I doing this for other Christians or how well am I doing this and you know am I being graded here you know by God or disappointing him for not being affectionately desirous of other Christians or giving my whole life to them. It's like, in one sense, no one does that. Right. Like really perfectly. Right. Except for me. Except, I was just about yeah. to say, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks yeah. for including me. It's in a that. good final word. On it, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's pretty, it's, it's life changing when you start to look at the Bible this way, especially in light of uh, the new Testament letters. It's really easy to read these letters as, okay, I believe now tell me what to do. Right. And so much of what Paul is trying to show is no belief is the end in, in itself. And this tree of life, the second thing that has come now after the knowledge of good and evil changes you in a way that you can't change yourself. And the more you have this posture of an open-handed reception to what God has come to give you, the more your life is going to look this way. Now there's a passivity to that. That's very difficult. And I think that's why we we're very quick to be like, okay, yeah, but tell me what to do now. And over and over again, uh, I think the picture is, no, you, you got to believe. You got to see Jesus as he is and the gifts that he's come to give that you can't earn for yourself. And that is going to start to change you little by little until it's, it's everywhere. You yes. see it all over the place. And uh, one of those places for me uh, in this passage is, uh, let's see, I think it's verse 7. Yeah, he says, we were like young children among you. And it's an easy verse to just kind of glaze over. Uh, but earlier this week, actually, our small group was looking at Psalm 8. And everybody got tripped up on Psalm 8 too, which says, let me pull it up here. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And everyone's just like, I don't, I don't get it. What's going on there? And it's a, it's a passage that causes a lot of head scratching because it's like, what is, what's going on yeah. there? And uh, what, what I think it's David. I'm not sure if he, he was the one who wrote it. God's sure. the ultimate author. And he's, what he's trying to say is, listen, when it comes to military strategy, mine is going to make you scratch your head because it's ultimately through the praise of children and infants. I have, a, I have an infant, not a strong military fighter or no. soldier. Oh, not, is that right? Not very good at okay. m- many things, uh, including feeding herself, right? <laughs> uh, very cute though. But in terms of military yeah. strategy, the the mouth of infants and praise of, of children, it's not going to get the ball very far down the field for what you're trying to accomplish. And that is the point of what God is trying to constantly communicate to us about our, our position in this. It's one of weakness. It's one of receptivity. It's one of needing service. To make yourself like a child is to say, I'm making myself in a position of need. Right. Uh, when it comes to stock trading, you have the E-Trade baby. That's what comes to mm-hmm. mind in light of this passage. It's like really cute commercials, but I don't want you trading my stocks. <laughs> right. And, and Paul, for Paul to say that, it. it is a pretty remarkable picture of, of how he has made himself and how we too can make ourselves as well. But it also points again to, to more than just Paul and more than, more than just us. It points to Jesus himself, whose strategy was what? To come down and say, worship me. I've just come down the mountain. No, he yeah. came to earth as a, as a baby, as an yeah. infant. And out of, yep. out of his mouth, ultimately, we have the word of ultimate truth. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, let's turn to our but what about section. So each week we want to look at a passage that in, and the more you the more you clarify grace, the more you undilute it, and the more you separate it from the law and say, these are two trees in the garden, not one in the same. 
uh, inevitably you're going to be met with the questions, but what about? And so we've selected a few. And um, now that this thing is rolling, we want to hear more from you guys. So if you ever have a, a question of what, but what about, feel free to email us uh, or find us on the webs. And today's passage, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, specifically verses 14 to 17. And uh, I'll just read it, Chris, and then you can hop in on your first observation. So it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. But what about what Hebrews a, yeah. 12, Chris? Yeah, that's, that was good, isn't it? I, I think um, I really appreciate this passage in context, especially, and uh, a lot going on as usual. But I think that um, in verse 14, when it says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one sees the Lord, I think that that's... I mean, for a lot of people, that's the big thing, right? Yeah. What about holiness? What about this idea of needing to strive for it? First Peter one, similar idea there. I think um, for me, uh, I would want to define holiness, and I think the passage kind of qualifies it too. So I'd love to hear your thoughts too on this Jacob Esau stuff as well. Yeah. But you do see this idea that that no one is going to fail to obtain the grace of God. That 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 I think in some sense has to qualify the idea of what holiness is. Uh, in, I think in Second Samuel it says no one's holy but God. So and yet we are. So it must have something to do with our proximity mm. to God and to His people. And I think a big part of the the message of Hebrews is just that: is that Jesus is the greater version of everything that came before Him. That He yeah. is so much the mediator that. The warning, if there is one, and I think there is one in Hebrews, is don't neglect him. Hmm. And here I think it's don't neglect the holiness that comes from him. And so the striving to, like Hebrews 3 and 4, is to enter the land. It's to enter his promise. It's to enter what he's done for us. It's to kind of follow behind our new Joshua, who's going in and, and conquesting the whole land for us without us lifting a single finger to help him or cooperate with him. Hmm. And so I think that's actually Christians then. Yeah. I think that Christians are kind of a weird bunch in the sense that we're completely holy and spotless. uh, When we realize that we'll never be holy and spotless, you know, by what we do only by his declaration. So I think holiness is laughter. I think holiness is letting go of ourselves. It's not keeping score. It's not being a comparison person. Uh, holiness, I think, is is uh, loving others freely, not out of obligation. Mm-hmm. Uh, holiness, I think, is just believing the gospel and uh, coming underneath it. And 1 Corinthians one thirty says, Jesus is our holiness. So I think that has to be uh, a heavy verse yeah. that, that really, if there is a scale here of sorts, that would weigh down the scale, I think, more than a lot of other kinds of verses that talk more about us pursuing holiness. I think Jesus is the holiness. Yeah. And so then this verse is basically saying, strive to be with Jesus, you know, strive to believe the gospel and, um, and to integrate that gospel into all of your life. Integrating is huge. Yeah. Because yeah. holiness is a security received, not earned, which is where right. I think he's going with this Jacob Esau yeah. distinction, right? J- uh, Esau is a guy who came in and he bargained for something that he wanted at a moment. He earned a meal. And in so doing, he traded his birthright. And that can seem really confusing of like, so well, what's going on there? Why couldn't he get it back? And the whole point was he could not change what he had done. Yeah. As a guy who was steering the ship of his life, he couldn't undo decisions that he had once made. That's good. And he can't fix it. He can't rectify the situation. Who can? Well, there is one who can. 
He can do it for all of us. We we all are Esau in one sense. Right. And until we come to that conclusion and we recognize, I can't undo the things that I have that I've done that have made train wrecks in my life, that have separated me from the love that was freely given in God. Uh, until we come to those, that conclusion, until Drago breaks us, right? The yeah. law of Drago breaks us. Yeah. We won't look outside of ourselves for the salvation and the hope that is found in Christ alone. And I think that's why he's going there. And I especially think um, that passage being taken in context also allows us to zoom out and see the next section is literally just, if we did have doubts about where holiness comes from, right? there are two mountains of holiness. And one of them is terrifying. And one of them is Sinai. One of them is one tree, one mountain. And it's connected to knowledge of good and evil. It's connected to the Ten Commandments. And let me tell you, Moses's pampers were full of something. Right. He was afraid, right? He, there was terror. Yes. There was doom, gloom, and storm. And this is that that latter half of- It's uh, when he covered his ears, right? When he said, stop talking got to God. Like, yeah. like we can't bear the commandment anymore. It's 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 not, it was not only like a, a, a fearful place. It was like in a religious sense, it was not doing a lot for God, human relations, put it that way. That's right. A lot you know, of people, distance. A lot of distance, That's a lot the, of, I can't bear these, stop talking God. We can't do them. It's bringing death. Yeah. I think we'll do, we'll have to do a deeper dive on Exodus 19 and 20, one of these times in this podcast, but in, in as a little uh, precursor, a little yeah. a teaser, uh, you have the people standing at a distance asking Moses to tell God to shut up. I, right. We're terrified. We're going to die here. Right. And Moses even responds and says, don't be afraid, hmm. which is interesting because we learn in the New Testament that he's putting on a front. Because right. here in Hebrews 12, it says, even Moses said, I am trembling with fear, right? Love, love that. He was terrified. Uh, but you haven't come to that mountain. You haven't come to that tree. You've come to something better. The first has been replaced with something far greater, far grander. And even the tenor, the culture surrounding this mountain, surrounding this tree, surrounding this covenant, it's better. It's a mountain of thousands upon thousands of angels singing joyful song with words that are better than words of condemnation. Hmm with words that are not, you need to do this in order to have life, or if you don't do this, you will die. Instead, the words are, one has died in your place. You can rest now. Believe. Strive for that belief in all of your life, not just the one area on Sundays and maybe a small group, right? It's for all of your life. Strive for that holiness. Strive for that integration, for the receiving of a security that you did not earn, but has been freely given in Preach. Jesus Christ. Preach. And that's holiness. You know, holiness is found there. Whereas I think that sometimes the kind of the common, the common way of thinking is more the former mountain is holy because it has that kind of like mm. heaviness to it and the darkness and the, and the laws there, you know, but actually holiness is striven for whenever you go for that second mountain and you, you cling to Jesus's blood alone. That's where purity comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And just to close there, we, I think you might've been at this conference. We, we were at a conference with a pretty well-known national speaker who was looking at this passage, but he cut the passage off before you got to the second mountain. The second mountain. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. And, and he just said, do you, do you approach God this way? Yeah. You know, do you have this fear, this reverent awe of him, which, which he was coming from a good place to try and wake, up, wake us up a little bit of like, hey, let's not be laissez-faire with our spirituality. And yet completely missed the passage, right? It's like, no, no, I don't come to God with that doom, gloom, and storm because... Well, the passage says not to. It says not to. Yeah. You haven't come to that mountain. You so. haven't come to yeah. that mountain. Right. That's not a word of right. correction. It's a word of truth. That right. you, ha- you, you truly have not come to that mountain. You've yep. come to a better one. Yep. So that's Amen. a great word to end Preaches. on. Don't yep. go to that first mountain. <laughs> I'm writing that down. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You can find us online at www.redtreegrace.com. 
Audio production for the podcast is provided to us by Brendan Wickstrom and website support via Nolan Bauer. And if you like what you heard, please do drop us a rating or a review on iTunes. Or don't. Either way, we will see you next time on the Red Tree Podcast.